You are, you are now tuning in to Reform Raza. Our aim is to glorify God through the edification of the saints. Expect practical theology and a draw to be biblical. So if you ask us who we do this for, because this is for the last. This is Reform Raza. My name is Martin Velasquez alongside all my brothers. This is Justin Corona. And what up, everybody? This is Brother Vic. And you are now in the mix. Don't forget to hit us up at reformraza.com. Right there is the center for everything Reform Raza. Get your merch brought to you from Wrath and Grace. Hit the links on the uh, social media facebook and instagram you can listen to the episodes you can see what we're all about uh, go to reformrasa.com and i hope that you do and don't forget to leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening you can leave us a review you can leave us a comment shout out to all those who have hit that five star and left a review so gracias uh, for that and today man i hope y'all caught that interview with tim brindle last mm. time i'm not gonna say last last week. episode <laughs> <laughs> well it was last week was it yeah oh man I that was know. when we dropped it yeah I, I wasn't able to make it but i was listening to it like man this is this is really good like it, it gets it got you tuned in and wanting more more of that interview yeah so a lot more to come and i hope y'all had a freedom in thanksgiving i kind of did but since uh, we're going into <laughs> <laughs> oh man since we are going into December we are now in December um, a lot of people like to celebrate Christmas whether you do or you don't I don't know whether you think it's a pagan holiday or not I don't know but it's a good time to start thinking about who is Jesus right who um who is who is this, who is at the center of our faith mm. right um, and, and, and as Christians, we should be able to know uh, who our Savior is, who is the, the person that we focus around, which would be Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there comes a point in every believer's life, I believe, when you just want to know more of Jesus. Who is he? What did he come down to do? Like, like really um, study about who is Jesus, because he is at the center of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And when you go into the word, you're going to discover some deeply profound things that are just going to blow your mind, especially when you study in the New Testament and you find out this Jesus character. He is, has been in the mix throughout all of redemptive history since the beginning of time. And you, when you find out more of who he is, you begin to love him. And when you go to church and you hear about him, you get to worship him. And it's a joy to know who our Lord is. So the purpose of us doing what we're going going into next in these episodes, we're just going to talk about the Lord. You know what I mean? This series that we're going to do, uh, this first one is we're going to just dig in deeper to find out Jesus in the Old Testament. Yeah. Where was he hinted at? You know, we kind of find out that every single book from Genesis to Malachi talks about Jesus Christ. And even Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 24, 
before he ascended, he showed them uh, the disciples everywhere in the prophets, in the books of the law, in the Psalms, Proverbs, everywhere where it was talking about him. So think about that. Jesus said it himself that the Old Testament was about him. That he was the fulfillment. He was the fulfillment. And, and the Old Testament talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Whoa. But where? And that's what we're going to get into today. Yeah, so in this episode, I mean, you could tell in the title, it, we're going to be talking about the types and shadows. This is going to only be a part one. Because, I mean, there's a lot to talk about um, yeah. with just three that we're going to mention today and then three in the next one. But um, like Martin said, in the, in the coming holiday days to come, Christmas, even though we don't celebrate or fat or um, uh, I don't know, we use the whole Santa and, and everything <laughs> that is attached to it. Nonetheless, we rejoice as Christians because we know that Christ is still being recognized mm -hmm. and acknowledged all across the world um, by atheists, agnostics, people of different religions, and hopefully, especially from Christians. Yep. Um, whether you agree with that being the day or not, nonetheless, people are talking about Christ. Mm -hmm. And just as Paul will go on to mention, in Philippians, let us rejoice nonetheless that Christ is mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, let us dig deeper in the scriptures to see who Jesus is, how he came about, where he was foretold in Old Testament, so that we could give a better picture of Jesus to our non-believing families when the question comes about. <laughs> yep. That it wasn't just a random occurrence. It wasn't just... Um, a man being born who called himself God, but this was something um, planned out by God since Genesis, the first page of Genesis. So with that, today we will be talking about types and shadows. So first we're going to start off with the, with the image of the king. Um, and and we, we, get, we get these different... Um, types and shadows um, from uh, if you have seen the documentary American Gospel Christ Alone um, there is a portion in that movie or not even just a portion but just a, a little section where they mention that there was images in the Old Testament that would point forward to Christ and that's and what was, types of shadows are yeah if you don't know what types of shadows are just places in the Old Testament where Christ is hinted at like a shadow it's not the full picture it's just a fuzzy picture of either Jesus, what he came to do, anything about redemptive mm -hmm. history. So the king, king, if, if you don't know anything about the king or have seen any movies about kings in them, a king is one that uh, rules a nation, but more so a king is a judge. And moreover, the king in the Old Testament when was first brought about in First uh, Samuel, the king was going to be somebody that would judge the, the nation of Israel, more specifically to Israel. So about this time in 1 Samuel, about chapter 8, previously we see that Samuel is actually, even though the book of Judges is two books before, uh, Samuel is actually the last judge right before the king um, saw so in, in chapter 7, it's the end of Samuel, and it goes on to speak about how he is the last judge over Israel along with his sons, but his sons end up leaving 
um, the way. <laughs> if you guys watch The Mandalorian, you'll know that this is the way. <laughs> but they left the way. Mm-hmm. So then, because of that, the people of Israel cried out to Samuel because Samuel's already getting up there in his age, and they're saying, "Appoint us a king like every other nation." And so here in First Samuel chapter eight, we see the the beginnings of the king that would um, take place over Israel, that would judge Israel. And so it came about because Israel wanted to be like every other nation. Can you believe that? <laughs> they had a God that was faithful to them, the nation that would uh, protect them. And here Israel saying, no, send us, give us, uh, anoint us a king that would protect us. And so here they they wanted something just like every other nation had, even though they already had their God directly leading them. They wanted to be like everyone else and have someone instead in between in between God. And so in in, in first Samuel chapter eight, we see that um, because they wanted a protector. In a way, it defied the theocracy that they already had in place that God would send judges to help lead them back. And ultimately, this is really just laziness on the part of Israel because, I mean, if you read the book of Judges, you see that every time they messed up, every time they did what was wise in their own eyes, God had to send a judge. Not that they needed a judge or not that God um, set up the role of a judge to continually be there for them, but he had to send it. He had to send a judge in place to bring them back on course because they continually drifted away from from God and so because of this they wanted somebody established a role established over them that would continually be that type of person to protect Israel and so if you know um, anything in the Old Testament you'll know that Saul was the first king and in the beginning he may have seemed like the one you know he was handsome he was strong he looked somebody that would lead them but ended up you know, doing as Samuel predicted to Israel. Because in the beginning, uh, towards the end of chapter eight, Samuel will go on to, to tell Israel that you don't want a king because the king will plunder you guys. Uh, moreover, that he will send their sons to war. After Samuel goes on and tells Israel this in uh, Samuel eight, I mean Samuel, in yeah, first Samuel eight, 19, It goes on to say, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And so we see a hint in in this in this little verse here. from the nation of Israel, they wanted somebody to fight their battles because beforehand the judge, the judges that God would um, raise up, they would fight the battles, but they wanted somebody to fight their battles um, as a king. And this would then be voiced or echoed later um, towards the end of chapter 10 in 1 Samuel in verse 27. So this is um after Saul is proclaimed king and and as he's being proclaimed as king you know there was there's people celebrating and, and all that but then 
in verse 27, it said, But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Um, but here, these people who were considered worthless fellows spoke to a, the the actual um, the the reality of this, which would then hint later to Jesus. How can this man save us? The king was meant to save them, but instead, Saul would turn out to be a bad king. He would. Um, rely on his own strength and in a way Saul resembles Samson how he was anointed by God as to to be the the one to judge and and help protect Israel but he relied on his own strength and ended up becoming uh, a little mad towards the end if you remember the history between him and David so because of this God would then want to anoint a king that he had chosen which would be the shepherd boy, David. And so after David is anointed as king, um, there was years until he was actually a king in position. And of course, if we know uh, 1 Samuel 17, David defeats Goliath, right? And then in other episodes, you could hear us shouting, you're not David. You're not David. Sh shout out to Matt Chandler. Shout out to Matt Chandler. Um, <laughs> And, and it's because that image is to portray Christ and how he would defeat sin, right? And so this is what only hint later to David as, as the better and greater successor to Saul. Um, not that he was Saul's son, but instead David would go down in history to where even non-believers would know who King David is. And so... In 2 Samuel, in chapter 8, David is mentioned as a successful king to Saul. And that, in fact, um, one, one commentary from R.C. Sproul, he would go on to mention that we know of Alexander the Great, but why don't we call David the Great? For David is the one who has won more battles and is more strategic in his battles. Moreover, David was a man after God's own heart. And so just, just to speak on, on Samuel 8, um, in the verses, it will go on to speak about David's success and the battles that he won um, over the Philistines and, and, and other people around. And then in 2 Samuel 8.15, it will go on to mention about how fair David is. I mean, just remember in light, they, Israel has only had two kings so far. Um, it would be Saul and David and, and compared to the to the worst, David was the best. But even more than that, even if there was no Saul, he was still a great king. So much so that after many years after David would pass, they would long for a king like David um, that would be a successor to the throne. So then we move over to 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11, and here the Lord is talking to David. And he goes on to say to him, uh, from that time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. In, in its time, we understood that, of course, David's sons would be heirs, but moreover, God was speaking to somebody far greater, which would be Christ, who would follow in the line of David. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was uh, first reading the Gospels as a new Christian, 
Um, I skipped over those names, <laughs> as many of us have yeah. Oh, in the yeah, past. Yeah, from mm-hmm. the beginning, yeah. But how significant those names are when you come to understand why it is placed there. It is to to draw a, um, what would that word be? A better, not a, a better understanding, but a, I guess a, a foundation that was laid to, to show that Christ really is this man from the line of David. Mm-hmm. It would give us further confidence in that because we knew that it would come from the house of David. And then, of course, after, you know, the kings have passed, Israel was then taken into exile to Babylon. And through Daniel, we'll see another image of this same king, which would be called the son of man, a one that was in the likeness of man that would then be seated on the right at the right hand of God. That would then be a king overall. That he'll he'll be a sovereign ruler. And then lastly, if we go to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it goes on to say that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So when Jesus comes to the scene, he would then be the fulfillment of that that um, that image that was given to them back in the Old Testament. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that Luke, when he records Jesus, it it in the Gospel of Luke is more noted as the kingdom of God because it is more mentioned in the Gospel of Luke about the coming kingdom that the kingdom of God is at hand when Jesus was speaking, um, that he would be that successor, the Lamb of God. And moreover, that he would then fulfill that cry that we heard back in First um, Samuel. Can he save us? Can that man save us? But moreover, this king, this eternal king, he would save his people and he would save them from their sin, their greatest enemy. And so, the, the image, the role of the king, um, if we really think about it, it was actually first displayed back in the garden because Adam was entrusted to rule over the beasts and to um, tend to the, the, the plants in the garden. And that he, in fact, will be a type of image of a king that later the second Adam, Christ, that will come to save us because of the first Adam's fall that he would be that better ruler that would in fact do the Lord's will that Adam failed and he would be our um, king. So when uh, we hear the phrase that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, there's weight behind that. Yeah, we t- just took part in the elections and uh, I like what, what someone's put on a shirt. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. Okay. Yeah. That means he's, he's, he's the authority, he's, he's, he's everything. He's ruling and he's reigning over all. Amen. So Jesus is the greater king. And so me, I've been given the privilege, the honor to present to you Jesus as the greater prophet. Uh, as I was studying this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this shadow right here, this types of shadow, I didn't realize that the whole Old Testament was all prophets. 
You didn't <laughs> know that? <laughs> like, once I really focused That's like half on of the it. Books. <laughs> once I really focused on it. No, I'm not even talking about the books. I'm talking about from Genesis to Malachi. Everywhere there's prophets. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, how am I going to bring this to you? Man. <laughs> Bro, no, no, but... but what I'm trying to say is that you don't really know until you dig deep. So I encourage y'all to dig deep with me. So because there was such a, a big place for the prophets being all, all over the Old Testament, uh, I've divided this section up into three parts. So I want to speak first about what was the role of a prophet. Second, uh, how is Jesus greater? And third, uh, why is it important that Jesus was the last prophet? And so let's begin with this. What was the role of a prophet? A prophet was a spokesman for God with the distinct call to be an ambassador of God. In fact, it was the call of God that gave the true prophet his legitimacy. So it wasn't just anybody who can be a prophet. That's it. No, he had to be called by God uh, to be to, to, to have a legitimacy of a prophet. And I love how Timothy Brindle put it. Shout out to Timothy Brindle on his album, uh, The Unfolding. He says the prophet brings God's truth to his people. And so there was there was a very distinct call for, for that prophet. And let me, let me just share with you the way that God spoke in, in, in those times. He spoke through through visions and through dreams. And, and throughout the books of the prophets, you, you'll hear them say, Thus saith the Lord. Or... Um, or uh, the word of the Lord came to me in a vision or or God spoke to me in a dream and and, and you would see the whole picture of how God was speaking and um, and the prophets brought anything that God told him to say whether it was words of warnings uh, a, a guidance encouragement uh, whether it was um, in the last uh, books in the prophets it was more emphasized about the holiness of God the covenant obligations that the people had, uh, denouncing injustice, uh, denouncing idolatry, empty rituals. It was a call for God's people to come to repentance and to faithfulness. So this was a big role right here for the prophet. And nobody likes to be told what they're doing wrong. Nobody. Even even when the times of the kings, when the prophet brought, brought a word from the Lord to the king, I think one of, one of the kings said, I don't want this prophet to speak to me. All he does is talk bad about what I'm about to do. And then the prophet brings the word of the Lord and he says, see, he always, he's talking about, you know, me, me dying at war. But the prophet can do nothing but bring God's truth, whether it was good or bad to, to the kings or to the people. And so there was danger from this. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 20 and 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So there was consequences. It wasn't just anybody can, can claim to be a prophet and, and say false things. There was a type of holiness for the prophets. In verse 22, it says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is where that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken, spoken it presumptuously. You need not to be afraid of him. So even in the Old Testament, God was, uh, was telling his people, this is how you can distinguish when this is my word or when it's not. And the consequences of false prophets, the penalty is death. And so as I was reading this, I'm just like, man, looking at today too, before I get on a little further, 
Just how many people just claim to be prophets, not realizing the consequences that's upon their souls for speaking such things that the Lord has not spoken to them, that that prophet shall die. But us for today, this is this is good to look back into the Old Testament, because even with that scripture, we can be aware of who's a false prophet or who's not who's from God and who's from who's not from God. But the prophets who, who had who had this um, this calling, this this uh, this uh, big uh, calling upon their lives with that came persecution. So the prophets were not just uh, uh, people who just spoke the word of God. They had to speak boldly, speaking against the people of Israel. And like I said, nobody likes to be told what they're doing wrong. Even in the, in the, in the times of the, of the kings, uh, this, they, uh, they, they, told, they told them, like, we, we, we want a king who will rule over us. But they give a warning, this king is not going to be good to you. But even then, they still wanted the king. All that to say this, Second Chronicles 36, 15 and 16 the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. So we can even see the compassion of God throughout throughout the Old Testament, through, through all the types and shadows that God was bringing to them, the prophets, telling them to repent. And Israel j just kept on going back and forth with God until, until, you know, the wrath of God, there was no remedy, as the scripture says. But that was the basic role of a prophet. It was the importance of a prophet. And now we look at the, the New Testament in Acts 7.52. This is when uh, uh, Stephen or Stephen, however you want to call him, the first martyr of the New Testament, uh, uh, Christian martyr of the New Testament, he even tells the people of Israel, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have not betrayed and murdered. So even then, uh, Stephen right there, or Stephen, he's, he's telling, he's telling the, 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 the Pharisees, the congregation right there, this Jesus is the righteous one that all the prophets have been talking about. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, earlier the scripture in Luke, how even Jesus told his disciples, all the scriptures point to me, Moses and the prophets. And he told them all the scriptures that gave testimony of him. And, and he, he did not even say just the law of Moses, but he said, Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so this is why I had a, such a such a hard task that Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. When it's talking about Moses, it's talking about the books of Moses, which was Genesis, uh, all the way from Genesis and from the prophets and the Psalms all the way to the Old Testament, to Malachi. So you can see little glimpses of, of types and shadows of Jesus all over the place. But I want to get to this one specific prophet who in the New Testament, they say that this is the greater prophet. This is the greatest in their time. It was, it was the greatest prophet, which was Moses. Now, Moses was a, was a type and a shadow of Jesus for what was to come. And so now I want to get to the second portion right here. How is Jesus greater? How is Jesus greater than Moses? Now, you got you to, gotta, once you dig deep in the scriptures, when you get to the New Testament, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, especially John, uh, the one that I've been studying, you're going to see that 
that four, there was 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And people were waiting for this for this uh, Messiah to come, this, this prophet to come. But they were all focused on Moses. Their emphasis was Moses. Moses was a greater prophet. And that's why Jesus was easy to rebuke him. You, you look at Moses, but he wrote about me. I'm greater than Moses, but let's see for a little bit why, why the Pharisees, why the people of Israel, why they look to Moses so much. Numbers 12, 6 to 8 says, hear my words. This is God speaking. Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and, do not, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So even in the Old Testament, you see right there that, that even God was saying, this is my servant. How come you were not afraid of him? He's, he's, he's loyal to me. I speak with him face to face as a friend does. He's basically saying, this is my guy right here. How dare you come against him? And so there was a great emphasis on Moses because he was the only one in the Old Testament that spoke to him directly. As I mentioned earlier, all the prophets of old, the word of the Lord came to him in a vision, in a dream. Thus saith the Lord, but Moses was face to face with him. And God said, I speak with him and I don't give him riddles. I tell him directly what to say and he tells the people. And so this is already a, a type of Jesus right here because we see in the New Testament that Jesus clearly says, I say whatever my father tells me to say. Mm. So this is the, the type of Moses. And, and, and what, what else about a type of Jesus, not Moses, type of Jesus? But what does Moses also offer? He offers the law was given through Moses. So the people of Israel looked to him that the law came through Moses. All over throughout the Old Testament, you would see how 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 God with the right hand and now stretched time he brought out the people of Egypt so we even see the signs and wonders of God done through Moses all over the Psalms talks about the law of Moses uh, how God brought the the people of Israel through, through through Moses Moses was emphasized because he was he was he was God's man God's servant right there and Jesus is mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy check this out Deuteronomy Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. And I don't know how you guys are about translations, but I've been looking into the CSB, CSB lately, Christian Standard uh, Bible. And this is what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at, at Herob on the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see his great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. So this is basically all over throughout the Old Testament. There's this prophet that's going to come. So the people were looking, was it, was it going to be, you know, Samuel? Was it going to be Daniel? Was it going to be Jeremiah? Who, who is this prophet? But throughout the whole Old Testament, all the prophets are going to give types and shadows of what is to come because ultimately they're not that, that great prophet that's going to come. The Old Testament, remember, types and shadows. Each prophet gave 
little glimpses of what Jesus was going to do, his redemptive work. And, and so I encourage you to study the Old Testament. It's, it's great. But this is why Moses was emphasized. Once again, he brought the law. He spoke to God face to face. All the wonders and miracles were done through Moses. And so Moses was esteemed great. But wait a minute, what about this prophet who's going to come? And this is where Jesus comes into the scene, how Jesus is greater than all of them, greater than all the prophets, greater than, than Moses. I wrote down just a, just a couple, couple of things right here. It says, whereas Moses was sent to deliver the nation of Israel out of physical slavery, which was the Exodus in Egypt, Jesus was sent to deliver people from all nations out of spiritual slavery to sin in their hearts. So the whole Exodus, how Israel was enslaved and how Moses brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, that was a picture of how Jesus is going to come and take out his people out of the bondage of sin. And bring them in, into, into the promised land. Whereas Moses only spoke the words he received from God, Jesus came as the very word of God who declared, I say to you, and it simply was God's word. Now in the New Testament, in, in, the, in the book of Matthew, you're going you're gonna to hear Jesus say, you have heard that it was said of old, but I say to you. Because throughout the line, it's like, it's like the people were playing telephone throughout, throughout down the line. And the word of uh, the, the law of God was given, and each of them interpreted interpreted it differently. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law basically. And he said, "You have heard that it was said of old. This is the way that you know the, the Pharisees were teaching. But I say to you, this is what it really means. This is the fulfillment." And so Jesus came to fulfill the law, whereas Moses came as a recipient of the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Don't listen to those false teachings that say. Well, well, you know, uh, Jesus broke the broke the law for love. Heck, no! <laughs> Jesus came to fulfill the law. When you're calling Jesus a lawbreaker, you're basically saying that he is a sinner, and therefore his atonement, his death, his resurrection is not valid. But he came to fulfill the law. Whereas Moses' face shone with the reflection of the heavenly glory he had seen, Jesus shone like the sun with his own divine glory. This is the transfiguration right here. What happened with, with, Mo, with, with Moses on the mountain, he saw God, well, he can't, couldn't see his face to face, but he saw him in the back, he saw his glory. This was a picture of what Jesus in the transfiguration, when Peter uh, and the other two disciples were looking to him, and Elijah and Moses were right there because once again, Elijah and the Moses were were um, were esteemed great in the Old Testament, but Elijah and Moses were right there with Jesus, glorifying Jesus because they were confirming this is the great prophet, this is the one who was to come. And and God spoke and said, "This is my son. Listen to him." So it was not only Elijah and Moses, but God even said, "This is him." You shall listen to him, as, as was declared in the Old Testament. But even Hebrews would tell us that, that Jesus is, is greater. Whereas Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God, Jesus was a faithful son because he is the builder of the house. So you'll see throughout all of Scripture how Jesus is greater than, than Moses, than any of the prophets. Now this brings me to, to my third point. Why is this important? Why is it important to know that Jesus was that final prophet? 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. CSB translation. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact impression expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is basically what I'm summing up right here of why is it important to know that Jesus is the last, the greatest prophet? Because in the times before, the word of God says right there that God spoke through the prophets different times, different ways. But now in these last days, he has spoken through his son, which means in the last times, ever since the, the resurrection to, to when he comes back again, God is speaking through his son. Jesus is not dead, so he's still speaking today. He speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. So one point that I want to make, why is it important to know that Jesus is the last greatest prophet? One, because there's no need for another prophet. It's easy for us to understand that because Jesus is the final, the revelation of, of who God is. He brings the truth of God. There's no need for another testament. There's no need for another prophet. There's no need for another someone to come to fulfill God's law because Jesus fulfilled it all. And therefore, he is the last, the final prophet. And that might get some people, some people mad right there. So when you get that knock on the door and you have those guys coming up on bikes and their ties and their elder this and elder that and they're very young um, <laughs> and they tell you about another testament and the, another prophet, you can point them and be like, hey, you know what? Check out this episode from Reform Raza and they're going to tell you everything you need to know right here. Yeah, there's, there's no need for another another prophet, another test, another testament. Jesus came to fulfill the law, fulfill the scriptures. So Jesus being the greater prophet is the final word of God. The final word of God. And nothing new after that. Nothing, yeah. yeah. So, so you don't need another um, revelation. revelation. Revelation coming, an, an angel coming to a prophet in a cave telling him to write things I, down. and. Yeah, I... I not only that, but I gotta say that I I, had, I find it really hard to believe people that say God spoke to me. I'm not talking about other 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 religious. I'm talking about within people that call themselves Christians. That God spoke to me. God told me this. We're gonna have to do an episode and, about that. Yeah, that's another episode. But I mean, uh, just to point it out there, I, I find it very hard to yeah. believe that because we'll call it. Has God really said? Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, even that Old Testament scripture, if if this person says that I said something and doesn't do it, he's false. Don't be afraid of him. That's just, that's another episode. But I wanted to end my time with this. How how is Christ, you know, the greater prophet? But how does he play today? How does his role still play today as a great and final prophet? I wrote down three things that Hebrews one two tells us that in these last days. So these are the last days from the first coming to the second coming this is all god still being that final prophet two is that hebrews 2 3 says that there's an announcement of a great salvation so jesus came to bring god's truth bring the revelation but also to come and spread the good news of the gospel and to proclaim repentance to everybody and number three I wrote down the scripture because I didn't want to miss it, miss it out. But even he warns us from heaven still. 
Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, and I'm ending with this. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That even now, Jesus still speaking, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a great salvation. If you hear his voice today, do not do, do not reject him as, as scripture says, as you did in the rebellion, but come to Christ. Amen. That was a handful. Um, so these, yeah, whatever you're listening here today, go back and study the scriptures and see these things in the Old Testament. So we have Jesus as a greater king, Jesus as a greater prophet. But let's talk about the core uh, belief of our faith, which is the cross, the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So this is something that I struggled with in the beginning was like, why did there have to be sacrifices? Why did God command sacrifices in the Old Testament? Why was this idea of of killing an animal and putting him on the altar to, to, to fire? Why does that satisfy God or why is that even necessary? And when we come to Jesus Christ on the cross, why is all this necessary that there has to be some sort of blood spilling or something dying why can't just God forgive us? And just why does people? Why do people have to die? So we're we're gonna see how Jesus dying on the cross was always the plan of God since the very beginning. And while I was studying this, it just screamed out the wisdom of God and just how perfect He made things to be. And his plan is just so like amazing the more i study it the more it blows my mind like this is how god always wanted to demonstrate some of his communicable attributes these attributes of god that that we can see that oh god is just god is merciful god is gracious god is love god is kind and he did he decided to do this by somebody dying in the place of guilty people so let's go back to the book of genesis so the first gospel presentation that we have well first let me start by a definition what what is a sacrifice um so a sacrifice is a biblical idea the biblical idea of sacrifice concerns a way of approach to God, finding acceptance before him by means of an acceptable substitute offered in place of the sinner and bearing the curse of sin. And that's from the Gospel Coalition. There's a, a article uh, called The Theology of Sacrifice, and that's how they give the definition. And I think that's a really good uh, definition of what is a sacrifice so we go to the book of genesis right when adam and eve sinned 
we have this gospel hint where God tells um, uh, um, Adam um, that the serpent is going to, or the seed of the woman is, is going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent is going to bruise the heel of, of the offspring. So it's a, just a, it's a really fuzzy picture. You read that and be like, what is that even talking about? But later on, the, down the line is Jesus, you know, dying on the cross and being bruised in the process. But we get a little hint from the beginning of that. So throughout the book of Genesis, we get we get these hints or these nugs of 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 a substitute or someone dying. We go to chapter three, verse twenty one. Um, we see that Adam and Eve, they made themselves fig leaves to cover their nakedness or to cover their sin. We see that they're trying to cover their own mistakes, their own sin by their own works, by themselves. And so what does God do? It just says that that God took um, animal skins and covered Adam and Eve. But in order to be covered, an animal, God had to kill an animal and take their skin and cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And so right there, we we have this picture of a substitute, of substitution, of somebody paying the price, giving their life to cover the sin of mankind. So we, we read these kind of scriptures, it kind of just goes over our head and it's not immediately like, like recognized, but you, once you see what is going on, and we see continually what happen, what goes on in history. We're going to be like, oh, now we get it. Now we get it. So we fast forward to the time of, of uh, Cain and Abel. We already see um, that the reason why Cain killed Abel is because God accepted uh, Abel's sacrifice. But where, where are they getting this idea from of sacrificing to the Lord? It's not, it's, it, God doesn't, God had, didn't establish it yet, but we already see that this, uh, this is something that pleases God. And we even go down even to, to Job, where he constantly offered uh, sacrifices um, because one of his children might have sinned. So in order to, for, to God uh, to forgive their sin, Job offered sacrifices. And we, we continue to get these nudges of, of sacrifice. And we go down to Noah after the flood. And the no, what is called the Noahic uh, covenant. Um, we see Noah sacrificing uh, to God after he gets out of the ark. And then it says this. That, that the, the, the Lord smelled uh, the pleasing aroma. There was a pleasing aroma that satisfied God. Not that... Not that the meat, the burning meat, uh, smelled good to God, but what it represented. So we have this idea of satisfaction. So we already have this idea of substitution, but now we have this idea of God being satisfied through these sacrifices. And we see in, in Isaiah uh, 53, 11, that um, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It satisfied God to to crush his son. So we already have this idea of God being appeased or being satisfied through this sacrifice. And so I could imagine that God was satisfied of those uh, uh, sacrifices 
because of what it's ultimately pointing to or what the work of Jesus Christ, what he would do. So it's all pointing towards this one event. So we go down to Genesis uh, chapter 22, deeply, deeply profound story of, of, of Abraham sacrificing or God telling Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And it's funny how kind of like this is it's, it's, it's almost like God is like kind of like, hello, are you getting it by now? So in, in Genesis 22 and verse two, it says, and then he said, God, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I, I shall tell you. So it's kind of it's kind of funny how he uses uh, that phrase. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's like that's New Testament um, 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 talk right there already. Like anybody that has read the New Testament or knows anything about the gospel, you can be like, well, that's a hint right there. And that, that's one of the clearest pictures that we see of this idea of, of the father sacrificing the son. Because we, down to the last detail, we see the son carrying the wood to the place of, of, of his death. We have Isaac carrying his the word that he's going to be placed on to his death. Everything down to those two servants. We have two two thieves on, on next to the cross, and and Abraham says we'll be back in in, in three days. You know, it's like all, all these things are just pointing and screaming at this this event that's going to take place later on in history. And so we, we see. Even uh, substitution again, that right before Abraham was going to lay down the dagger and, and, and offer his son up and kill him, uh, God provides a ram. So yet again, we have this picture of a substitute, not the son this time, but we see the, that the ram and, and then Abraham sacrifices the ram instead of his son. And so this, this, these ideas of substitution, uh, of being, of God being satisfied through sacrifices, is is hinted out throughout the whole book of Genesis, even to the Passover lamb. When we go go to the book of Exodus, we see a lamb shedding uh, his blood, and the Israelites putting uh, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. So when the destroyer comes and sees the blood of the lamb on the door, he will pass over. And so that's after that, that's that's when we get um, God commanding um, the sacrifices, the yearly day of atonement where, you know, uh, I'm going to go over this next time, what the priest would do and the high priest and how those sacrifices will be made on the day of atonement. But God established a day where sacrifices, a sacrifice will be made on behalf of all Israel and all of Israel's sin would be forgiven for one year. So time after time, uh, we see countless lambs being slaughtered and a very bloody event um, that would take place once a year for the forgiveness of sins. And it wasn't just one lamb. Uh, the, the priest had a sacrifice for himself and he had a sacrifice uh, for, for, the, for the people. And then the way that they would do, I'll explain it on, on the next episode, uh, that in greater detail. But the, the job of the priest was a very bloody uh, a job to do and so we see in the, in the in the book of hebrews that where there is no shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin and that always blew my mind like why does it have to be like that because we see that the guilty sinner 
is, is not paying the price for his own sin, but someone else coming in and paying that price for them. And that's the whole concept of sacrifices is substitution. In more theological terms, we call that substitutionary atonement. And that, that was the whole thing about the, the sacrifices that, that, that God was hinting that one day he will send forth his son to be the final substitute, to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his grace, to show his justice, to show his wrath in this one event. All these attributes just in one event, how God would uh, send his son to lay down his life for guilty sinners. And it's something that still blows my mind. Like, why would God want to show his love through this? And that's something that continues. And I don't have the answer for that. But it blows my mind every time I think about that. This is the way that God decided to show his gospel, to show his love, to show all these things that I just mentioned through offering up for coming into this world and, and offering up himself for, for people who are dirty, who are broken, who have no love of God. But as the scripture says, we love him because he first loved us. And it just gives you a deeply more uh, a profound understanding of God's love when we see the bloody mess that had to take place in order for God to demonstrate um, his love for us. So one of the most deeply profound statements in the, in, in, in the whole Bible is Mark 1.1. And it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That blows my mind because we see the gospel taking place throughout all of the Old Testament, through kings and through prophets and sacrifices and all these events taking place. And then we come to the New Testament. Now, this is the beginning of the gospel when the gospel has already been taking place. But it's a deep, deeply profound statement because it's 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 this is where it's coming to light. All these things that that we've talked about today are coming to fulfillment when Jesus Christ steps on the scene. And so we see him walking the earth, proclaiming to, to, to be the, the one, the, the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, the, the, the King, the prophet, the one coming down. And we see his example um, living uh, the way he lived his life talking about forgiveness and forgive your neighbor and love your neighbor uh, as as you love yourself and talking all these things uh, uh, how Victor mentioned in, in, in the Beatitudes that I, you have heard it said of old but I say to you making such statements such bold statements and we see the Pharisees hating on him and, and people coming to, to the Lord and him healing and, and saying these deeply profound things and then on the on the day of his uh, crucifixion he is betrayed by one of his own and he goes to a cross as a guilty he, he he's declared guilty uh, uh, by, by the Pharisees and then we see on the cross making uh, um, such statements as as you know as uh, uh, my God my God why why have you forsaken me and then we automatically think of Psalm 22 and we read Psalm 22 and we talk about how, you know, his bones were dislocated and it gives you a deeper picture of, of, of the cross. And then 
you know, we see we see that the final breath, his final statement, it is finished. And we see the veil being torn. And the, now, now people have access through this final sacrifice, through this final uh, life giving. And, and, and we see uh, uh, such statements throughout the, the New Testament as as uh, I give my life as a ransom. You know, ransomed by his blood, uh, by the blood of his cross, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, reconciled by his blood, justified by his, by his blood, uh, propitiation by his blood through the death of the cross. Uh, the blood of his cross christ our passover has has been sacrificed christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood the lamb which takes away a uh, sin he bore our sins such statements that we constantly see of jesus uh, giving up his blood or shedding his blood so that people can be uh, saved and, and come to know him so when, when we um when we uh, recognize that that the sacrificial system was meant to 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 point us to the ultimate and more perfect and more pure uh, uh, sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ our Lord, we can begin to recognize and praise God that such an event took place. So when 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 uh, when uh, uh, God tells us or He commands us to repent and believe the gospel. It is it is it's something that we must um, um, deeply take in because this is what God has been hinting at throughout all of time in history through this one event that happened. So today the message has been passed on from the prophets through to the apostles, through the church fathers, through all of church history up until today, Reform Rasa, proclaiming to you that same very gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I think it's dope um, with the types and shadows. Today we talked about the king, the prophet, the sacrifice. Um, but how much really all, all of the types and shadows that are um, being brought forth through the Old Testament are when placed all together, it will be the that Christ will be the culmination of all of it. Yeah. That the king in his inauguration would be made that perfect sacrifice then instead of um that moreover that he would um die for people who didn't believe him he would die for sinners and that because of that he would then become that substitution for the on behalf of the sinners who were already a part of the the um of uh, Satan in, in his kingdom but it said he would die for Satan's slaves that he would then because of his death would be able to bring them by faith to his kingdom and that he would be that final prophet that, that would um, proclaim his kingdom the coming kingdom and yet you know through old uh, through the Old Testament they imagined it being something on earth and yet how the people at the time got it all wrong. But yet they had an idea, but because like we, like we, you've mentioned and, and like we've mentioned is that it was a fuzzy picture. There was no clear picture yet exactly of, of what was to come. 
they had an idea, but they weren't able to piece them all together, that it would be Christ instead. And so this is very awesome that uh, just even just studying for these things um, that, you know, even just learning just different things. I mean, I didn't even know that the king was basically a judge <laughs> over Israel or that even, as you mentioned about the prophet. And it's just awesome to, to, to get back into this type of study. And I hope that you guys enjoy this listening to this yeah. as we are doing this. Um, and, and you know that you guys would stick around for the second part of types and shadows as we go over the judge the priesthood and um, the law man. yeah and you know man like um, there's something that I'm, I'm still you know like uh, getting to know is that uh, the true maturity of a Christian comes when you go deeper into the gospel a lot of Christians that um, I've heard it say that you know, you, you learn the gospel and then you go on to other things. But it's only when you dive deeper into the gospel is when you bear fruit. It's when you mature in the Lord and when your faith is build it, build it, built up and your confidence in Christ just, you know, goes through the roof because you discover who he is and then it, 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 it comes out in worship. You know, that's why we're so big on, on theology right here um, because it really does um, change your perspective not only of who Christ is, but of your own life and the way you live your life, the way you love your wife, the way you love your kids, the way you love your neighbor. It changes in all aspects, you know, and then it comes out in, on Sunday in the worship. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, and just uh, with this episode alone, there's so much more that each and every one of yeah. us could have said. So much more. So that's why I want to encourage you guys who are listening to, to dig in. Uh, on your on your own yeah on your own studies find out the greater king the greater prophet the better sacrifice and uh as we say grow as we grow so this yeah. is reform rasa don't forget to hit up hit us up at reformrasa.com with any questions comments concerns or rebukes you can hit us up right there and don't forget to like and share the episode we'd like uh, i know we've been a little uh, lagging it on the social media but we like to um to hear your responses we like for you to comment we like for you to share the episode share it on your story uh share it you know in a text message through someone who may be trying to study this and you know um hit us up you know what i mean that's uh, so what we're here for so yeah and if you guys enjoy this let us know because i mean we would want to later down the line after this series maybe even do a types and shadows just solely on the types and shadows where we spend a full episode on each one and the mm -hmm. significance of it and every point that is pointed out and all of that but uh nonetheless also too if you want more stuff go ahead and check out the unfolding by timothy brindle the mm -hmm. recent episode we did before this uh he goes over a lot of this stuff um in rap man yeah. That is awesome to be able to listen to, to, to that album. And don't trip. We will have Timothy Print on again sometime in the near future just to talk Lord about willing. You know, the unfolding and Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, things like that. So so this is Reform Raza. We are out of here. Rato, lastly, rato. lastly, lastly, Later. don't forget to check out Reef, uh, Redeem Project Radio. <laughs> yes. Dot <Well>. com. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we are live 24-7, Monday through Friday. There's podcast clips um, from yours truly. We're on Mondays at 8 in the morning and... 10 in the morning. Oh, I'm sorry. 10 in the morning and... 8 p.m. 8 p.m. I think. I think. 
Maybe. This is We're on Monday. <laughs> Check out the social media on Redeem Project yeah, Radio. Go ahead. All the information's right there. Yes. Yes. So we're out of here. A rato vatos. Peace. Later. Because this is for the last.